0: Welcome welcome to, to Mama another
1: episode of
0: <laughs> Mama Mystery. I am your host Kelly Evans.
1: I am your co-host Austin Evans. We're not brother and sister. <laughs> We're married.
0: We're married. We're pretty married. So. Kelly's
1: a crime junkie. I'm not.
0: Yeah. Um, Austin doesn't know anything about true crime. If you've listened to us before, you already know that. But here we are. Today, I am going to amaze him with another true crime story that is very true and very criminal.
1: Right
0: on. So just a quick heads up. Today's episode is airing on Monday, per usual. But Friday's episode will be exclusively for Patreons only. So if you want to get that extra episode, you will want to sign up at patreon.com slash mama mystery. So anything else to say? Stickers. Yeah, and you'll get some cool stickers. I, I actually have so many in mind that I need to come out with, but um, I don't know. I just I get so busy. I There's never be. enough hours in the day. Never. That's what it comes down. Da- that's what it comes down to.
1: We all got the same amount.
0: Yeah, and it's never enough. So today we are talking about a bizarre case of cyber stalking, televangelists, and murder. Ooh. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's just dive right in, shall we?
1: If you're driving down the road, buckle up.
0: Today, we are talking about the Coleman family murders. All right, so we begin with Joyce Myers. Um, Do you know who Joyce Myers is? You're talking to me? Yes. There's no one else in this room.
1: Absolutely not. Why would you ask me?
0: Well, because she's an uber-famous televangelist who lives right outside St. Louis. What is a
1: televangelist?
0: Um, she is a, she's like a minister who preaches on TV. We were just talking that. about it at dinner, how you had to watch, yeah. you know, Catholic mass on TV when you would lie about your swollen glands so you could skip church. But your dad said, nah, we ain't skipping. You're watching it on TV into that as punishment for lying, but also so you could get your foundation. Yeah. Your stuff. So anyway, Joyce Meyer, she's uber famous. She's the president of Joyce Meyer Ministries and has done quite well with that. She owns several homes and travels in a G4 PJ. Her homes are worth millions. She even bought homes for her children, which are also worth a couple million. She even has a toilet, a freaking toilet worth $23,000. What do you do with it? You shit in it. (laughs) <laughs> and it's twenty three grand. And that's it. Twenty
1: that's my twenty three thousand dollar shitter.
0: Why? Why? Of all the things you could spend that type of money on, why? A toilet. I don't get it. Very interesting. You don't get it. So she has been criticized for living an excessive lifestyle and was even pro- even probed by the IRS, which prompted her to take a salary reduction from her usual $900,000 a year to only receive money off of her books and her merchandise. So she was getting this $900,000 salary. Her husband was getting like $450,000. They own the company? They own the company, and then the board members were primarily made up of family members. So they were the ones to decide on her salary and how the money was spent. So like the PJ and all that stuff. And then uh, PJ's private jet, just in case some of you are like, what the hell is she talking about, PJ? Pajamas? She got fancy pajamas? I don't get it. Why is that a big deal? And a
1: G4 is a Gulfstream 4.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. model 4. So... Anyway, since then though, she has taken a reduction in so she doesn't take anything from the contributions from the church, but she just makes her money off of her books and things like that. Um,
1: Probably still killing.
0: Yeah, oh for sure. she's big time. So needless to say, someone so high profile and often criticized figured that she needed some security. So one of the bodyguards that she hired was a man named Chris Coleman. So Chris Coleman was raised by parents who were pastors in a church, and this was a very popular church in their community. It was actually one of those churches where they would speak in tongues, and Chris and his three brothers would even speak in tongues while they were at church. Um, in the Coleman house, all of the decisions were made based on scripture, so it was you know a pretty strict family, and they were definitely no strangers to you know living by the word of the Bible. So um, maybe some of you guys can kind of relate to that. I can't. I was not raised in a church. So so Chris was very well-mannered and polite. He never cussed. He was very quiet, very gentle, just a well-mannered kid. But when he got into high school and was introduced to a Marine recruiter, he felt like he had found his calling. He was just amazed, um, totally admired these Marine recruiters. So He signed up for the Marines right after high school. And while he was in the Marines, he met his wife, Sherry, during a, uh, I think it was like a K-9 training class or something. So anyway, they met um, when he was 22. Sherry was 21, and she was in the U.S. Air Force. They dated for about three months before he brought Sherry home to meet his parents, but only introduced her as a friend. So... His parents were a little surprised. I guess Sherry wasn't the type of girl that they thought their Christian son would end up with. So Chris's dad, Ron, said that Sherry was, quote, a worldly little girl, little short shorts, tattoo on her leg, not the person we thought he'd be with, end quote.
1: Not happy.
0: No. The day Chris introduced Sherry to his parents, he told them that he was going to take Sherry home and come right back. But Chris never came back. Instead, he called the next day to announce that they ran off and got married. What? Yeah. So, Chris's parents were shocked. They didn't know what to think, but it all made sense shortly after when they announced they were pregnant.
1: Oh, shotgun wedding.
0: Ooh. Um, I wonder how that went over with these Bible people. Probably not well. <laughs> I don't, why did I say Bible people? That doesn't even make sense. You know what I mean, though. So they named their first son Garrett and had a little brother, Gavin, two years later. Sherry became a stay-at-home mom while Chris used his military background to land a job as one of Joyce Meyer's bodyguards. So, the thing about Joyce Meyer's ministry is that they would often travel all over the world preaching the word of God, but some of the countries that they visited were not as receptive to hearing from a female preacher.
1: So, she's like a female Joel, Joel Osteen. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Ballin'.
0: So, in November of 2008, when Chris was working as the head of Joyce's security team, he started receiving these emails while he was at work, and these emails were laced with death threats, saying, quote, Tell Chris his family is dead. I know his schedule, and they will die. Next time, that mother effer will talk. Will let me talk to Joyce. And another that read, quote, and I'm, I don't want to cuss, so I'm just going to say effing. But um, I know you all got my effing email. I am so sick of bitches like her taking everyone's cash so she can fly her jet and pamper her white ass. <laughs> Tell that bitch Joyce to give me my money back and talk to me and this will all stop. End quote. My
1: goodness.
0: Yeah, super angry. And I laugh at pamper her white ass because all I could think about was that. Bougie toilet.
1: The $23,000 toilet. Yeah. She was asking for that one.
0: Yeah, maybe that's what he was referring to.
1: People are like, that's not funny. I was just (laughs) kidding.
0: (laughs) So the email goes on to describe multiple members of Joyce's security team and how he will kill them all, but starting with Chris's family, and says, I know his effing schedule. Every time Joyce is gone, he is gone. So that's kind of scary because... Of course they know. If Joyce is traveling, Chris is right there with her. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, so that is really scary. So Chris took these emails to the police department, and they start giving the Coleman family extra patrol, driving by their home to make sure everyone is safe, keeping an eye on the area where they lived. But in January of 2009, one of the threats was hand-delivered to their mailbox, and it read, quote, "'Deny your God publicly or else.'" No more opportunities. Time is running out for you and your family. Have a good time in India, Mother Effer.
1: And he was headed to India, probably, huh?
0: I guess so. I think at the time this was delivered, he either was about to go to Hawaii or it was in Hawaii. I'm not sure, but I feel like I, I heard or read that somewhere. I just couldn't find it when I was like writing this, so I, I couldn't find the place to cite it. But That's anyway. Wild. But there were some grammatical errors in this note. For example, publicly um, was spelled public ally. So like public A-L-L-Y instead of public L-Y. Um, also, opportunities had an extra U in it instead Man, of. I got to admit mm-hmm.
1: though, I can never spell that freaking word.
0: What? Opportunities?
1: Opportunities. I can't even spell it right now. I'm not even going to try. Opportunities. And I also struggled to spell the word Entrepreneur. You are one. I forget there's a damn E after after newer. after the, I don't know. There's (laughs) an E somewhere in there that stumps me. There's a few Entrepreneur and and opportunities. Those are some tough ones.
0: Yeah. Yikes. Okay. Anyway, so um, Chris takes this to his neighbor, who also happens to be a detective. And his name is formally Detective Sergeant Justin Barlow of the Columbia Police Department. So Detective Barlow strings up a camera in his son's bedroom that points directly at the Coleman house in hopes of catching whoever is doing this. So Vanessa Rigorix... Um, she's one of their neighbors. She lives a couple doors down. She has a son the same age as Gavin, so their boys would often play together. And she described the family as like this picture-perfect family with a seemingly perfect life, raising two beautiful sons. She said they were like the quintessential American family. She said the boys were incredibly sweet, kind, well-mannered, very helpful and compassionate, just like good boys,
1: right? Prediction, it was her.
0: So anyway, I, I you know what, him. I'm just going to get in the habit of ignoring your predictions because I never want to give it away for those of you who haven't listened.
1: But I have, just so you all know, I haven't listened either. I don't know a damn thing. No,
0: he doesn't know anything. But um, just from now on, I'm going to play poker face during every single episode. And anytime you have a prediction, I'm going to skate right past it. A lot of the listeners have noticed you ignore me anyway. So let's just go
1: ahead and call it normal.
0: Anyway, so on May 4th, 2009, Garrett is at his friend Brandon's house right down the street. This is Vanessa's son. And um, Brandon was going to be turning nine the next day and wanted Garrett and Gavin to spend the night, as they usually did for Brandon's birthday. So they asked their parents if they could spend the night at Brandon's, but Chris and Sherry said no, and that maybe they could spend the night that weekend, because after all, it was a Monday night. And then later that day, when Gavin and Garrett got home, they played catch with their dad in the front yard, which was all captured on Detective Barlow's security camera. The next morning, May 5th, Chris gets up early to go to the gym, as he did every morning. And as he's leaving, it's about 5.43 a.m., and he calls Sherry to wake her up and make sure she gets herself and the kids ready for school. She doesn't answer, so he texts her saying, are you awake? Question mark. I know you were tired last night. Um, She doesn't respond. He texts her again saying, I have about five minutes left on cardio, then I'll be home. Again, no response. He says, hello, you up? Time to get the kids up. Still getting no response from Sherry. So he gets really worried. He calls his neighbor, Detective Barlow, at 6.42 a.m. and asks for him to go check on the house. And he says, my wife's not answering the phone. I just need you to go check on her and the kids. I'm on the J.B. Bridge, and I'll be there in about five minutes. Um, Just a little side note. I don't think I mentioned. This is all happening in Columbia, Illinois.
1: Yeah, I was wondering that, so I'm glad you said that.
0: So if you are from around there, you know the J.B. Bridge. I don't, so maybe this means something to you. But anyway, Detective Barlow gets dressed, and he goes over there, and on his way over there, he calls his dispatcher at the Columbia Police Department for backup. So Officer Jason Don John arrives to assist. Officer Don John goes to the back of the house and notices that there's a window open with the screen out. So they radio for more backup and climb in through the window to clear the basement. At this point, they have their guns drawn and are carefully inspecting the home The first thing that hits them is the pungent smell of paint fumes. They climb the stairs and approach the kitchen where they see the word punished spray painted on the walls. And then I am always watching also spray painted on the walls. And up another staircase, the words you have paid, but you is the letter U. So you have paid. 13 minutes after making that phone call to his neighbor, Chris finally pulls up. One of the other officers on the scene tells him to wait outside while they clear the house. The detective, Barlow, comes back outside and he greets Chris saying, they didn't make it, Chris. They didn't make it. And Chris sobs, goes down to the floor, I'm sorry, to the ground, and immediately just calls his dad. Um, So I guess police will sometimes have a chaplain like on their squad or team, I guess. Mm -hmm. So Reverend Jonathan Peters is the police chaplain who was on the scene. And at one point it was suggested that he take Chris into the back of an ambulance because media was already beginning to create a crowd. So then Chris is brought into the station to talk to police about what happened to his family, who could have possibly done this. Police are feeling like they're trying to find a needle in a haystack considering that these email threats could be from literally anyone across the globe, considering that Joyce traveled all across the globe, and he was with her. So Chris sobs between answering their questions. At one point, he asks for a blanket because he was cold. And, you know, it's he could have been cold. He could have just been in shock or shivering, you know, because it's just so traumatic. But either way, they ask him if he knows how his family died, and he says he has no idea because nobody has told him. And even after that, he didn't ask, so they didn't tell him. What? Which I I thought about that and I'm trying to think, you know, I, I try to put myself in their shoes, right? When I, when I, when something comes out and it's like, oh, that's kind of odd. I'm like, is it odd? Like, what would I do in that situation? That's
1: odd. Do you think that's odd?
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I do for sure. Yeah. You're,
1: you're in the driveway of your house and they tell you your family didn't make it and the next however many minutes pass, yeah. you get to the the police station, they ask you, you say, yeah, I don't, I don't actually know. You continue the conversation not knowing. That's weird as hell.
0: Yeah. I guess, you know, my, yes, my initial reaction would be like, what do you mean they didn't make it? What happened? Like, those would be the next words out of my right. mouth, I think. But given the fact that he knew he was being cyberstalked, they were getting all these threatening messages, he probably knew they were murdered.
1: Well, you can assume that. Yeah. So
0: I'm sure he assumed that.
1: Yeah. But then uh, surely, I mean, what I was going to say was, Like, if you were in shock and you didn't ask immediately, like you just said you would have, Mm -hmm. you would for sure ask in the next hour,
0: wouldn't you? Probably, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I I guess I would. I, I just, I honestly don't know. I've never been in that situation. I can't even imagine losing my kids. I feel like I would just, I would be on another planet if something happened to my kids. And I just... Part of me wonders if I would want to know because I would just be so heartbroken. I mean, they're they're gone, so Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's something to think about. And I guess you and I kind of disagree a little bit. So tell me what you think um, in the comments. I guess if you know how, if you think it's weird or not. Yeah, just tell me if you think it's weird or not. I guess. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, they ask him about his job, and he tells them that he is Joyce Myers. Security guard, and he boasts that she's on TV in 37 languages in three quarters of the world, and like they're a big deal. He also tells them about a company he started called Executive Innovations, which is a security surveillance company. So they ask if um, they also ask if he has any issues in his relationship. These are standard standard questions, by the way. And he admits that you know they had trouble with communication. But they had been seeking counseling and he was very open about that, that they had been seeking counseling. Joyce was actually the one that had set it up for them and um, that, you know, they were working things out. So they asked him if he had been seeing anyone outside his marriage and said, no, but then admits that there was a woman named Tara Lentz that he had been talking to a lot lately, but just as friends. So Tara Lentz, Um, is a cocktail waitress at a gentleman's club down in Florida, and she was also Sherry's best friend from high school. So Chris met Tara while he and his family were on vacation down in Florida. So Chris later admitted to detectives that there was a little sexy phone flirtation, but not an affair. He tells detectives that the family was planning a trip to Disneyland but also fails to tell them that he had actually canceled that trip and instead booked a cruise to the Virgin Islands with Tara. Uh oh. So they contact police in Tara's hometown, and um, the police down there bring her in for questioning. She provided them her laptop and her her BlackBerry phone and. Um, showed them all of the lurid texts between the two of them and the pictures that they'd send back and forth. There's videos. There's tons of stuff. Some of it was too sexy for um, even the trial that ended up happening later. But, yeah, it was, it was very vulgar. So with this information, they immediately call the detectives back in Illinois. They're like, uh, we think this is his girlfriend. And those detectives confront Chris with the fact that they know he's been having an affair with Tara. So Tara revealed that they had been seeing each other. um, They started seeing each other back in November, six months before the murder. There are receipts from car rentals showing that he'd fly her out to wherever he was working with Joyce, and then they would stay together. Um, They'd had promise rings together that they would wear when they were together. They had plans to get married in January of 2010, which was the following year, because this is all happening in 2009. With all this information, they're confronting Chris, and he says... "Quote: Well, I didn't think I was having an affair. An affair is like when you're living with them." End quote. Oh.
1: Oh, (laughs) got it. Now we understand the miscommunication. We'll explain to you what an affair is now. Yeah. (laughs) What a freaking idiot.
0: They shared. Talk about busted. That's some. That's a serious affair. Yes, they shared credit cards together. They planned vacations together. I mean, get married. Yes, there is no denying that he was creating a life with Tara. And he even told Tara that he was going to serve Sherry with divorce papers on May 5th, 2008, or I'm sorry, 2009, the day of the murders. So even though they had this information, they didn't have enough evidence to prove that Chris would kill his whole whole family. Like just because he's having an affair does not mean he would kill his family. So they let him go. And when the news of the affair came out, everyone started losing faith in Chris Coleman, and the presumption of innocence for Chris was quickly dwindling. Meanwhile, Reverend Peters, the one who sat with Chris in the back of the ambulance, he later came forward and said that when they were in the back of the ambulance, he looked at Chris's arms and noticed some scratches. He asked Chris how he got those, and I guess he maybe didn't respond. He ended up later telling detectives that he got the scratches from removing, like, a satellite dish from his roof. But in that moment, Chris started banging his fists on the gurney, seemingly out of agony from losing his family. But when Chris was in that interrogation room and asked for a blanket, he only used the blanket to cover his forearms. He was in a sleeveless shirt and shorts— And he said he was cold, whether it was from actually being cold or not, he only covered his forearms. To change the subject. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he started pounding on something to change the subject.
0: Or to create the scratches and say, oh, I got these from hitting that gurney. Because they later asked him, the, the detectives later asked him how he got the scratches. And he was like, oh, well, you know, probably when I hit that gurney. So I think he was hitting it to create a reason for the scratches. Yeah, and um, also one of the detectives noted that it was odd for him to say he was cold and ask for a blanket because it was actually really warm in that interrogation room. I mean, it's essentially a closet, and it is May, so it's probably kind of warm. It's Missouri. You know, we're starting to have warmer days. Missouri. Or I'm sorry, Illinois, Illinois. Sorry. I was thinking Columbia, Missouri. (laughs) It's (laughs) Illinois. Sorry, I don't mean to confuse you all. Um, But anyway, it's May. The weather's starting to get nicer. And um, again, the detective, I know there's AC, but the detec- detective did say it was really warm in that room. So the fact that he only covered his forearms to me is a little sus. Mm-hmm. So later, Kathy Leplant, who is the executive assistant to Joyce Meyer's husband, was very close with Sherry. They were practically best friends. And when she heard that Sherry was killed, she instantly said, Chris did it. She knew that things in Chris's... Chris and Sherry's marriage were not going well. They were going to counseling and had talked about divorce, but Sherry refused to give Chris a divorce. She wanted to make things work. And at one point, Kathy remembers when Sherry texted her saying, quote, if something happens to me, Chris did it, end quote. Kathy felt like she needed to stay quiet about her opinion because her boss, who I assume is Joyce Meyer's husband, um, but that's an assumption, Anyway, told her to refrain from speculation and just pray for Chris. But she felt like she owed it to Sherry to speak with investigators, and that's exactly what she did. So kudos to her for doing what is right. She told investigators that Sherry had confided in her, saying that during an argument, she yelled, quote, Chris, I am never going to divorce you. I will not leave. What are you going to do? Kill me? End quote. She also remembered urging Chris to get a security system because she had heard about all these death threats and even said that Joyce had offered to pay for one, but that Chris declined, saying, We don't need one. Sherry's got a gun. She knows how to use it. And then remember that neighbor, Vanessa Rigorix? She recalled to police that a couple weeks prior to Sherry's death, Sherry and Chris were hanging out with Vanessa and her fiancé. They were drinking a little bit, but Vanessa recalled that Chris was drinking way more than normal, and at one point, Sherry asked for another Corona, and Chris snapped at her, saying, quote, get up off your ass and get it yourself, you lazy bitch. Right in oh, front of everybody.
1: Wait, and you're at a restaurant?
0: No, I think they were hanging out at, at uh, Chris and Sherry's house. Oh, weird. Still weird. Still weird. Still I mean, way too much. Yeah, and Vanessa was stunned. She had never heard him talk like that, especially to Sherry. But almost immediately, Vanessa and her fiance decided they needed to leave and just headed home. So, Chris said, "I just want to venture back and talk about the things to me that don't make sense." Okay, Chris said he called Sherry right as he was pulling out of the driveway to wake her up. But why not just wake her up before you leave? You were just there. Like, what's the point of calling her mm-hmm. as you're leaving unless it's to create a timeline or an alibi that you know she See, was asleep your in bed? Criminal
1: mama mystery mind thinks like that. I don't think it until you say it, and then I'm like, oh, good point. Yeah.
0: Um, also at one point during his interview with detectives, he recalls his morning. He's like explaining everything that happened. And he said, quote, I called Sherry to wake her up, get her going. And she didn't answer. Of course. End quote. Of course. Why the, why the words, of course, would she not wake up the moment you left unless you knew she was already dead? See, you
1: think about this stuff. So like it's almost like he's telling on himself but he doesn't. Yes. People don't know it until you know it.
0: Yep, exactly. Also, if you have a stalker, why would you leave the windows open or the doors unlocked? Cuz there was no sign of forced entry, the window was literally just opened. And it he, he apparently did this all the time. Sherry would get after him for not locking the doors or closing the windows and I don't know, it just seems odd to me that if you had a stalker, like we make sure our doors are locked all the time. We don't have stalkers. Right. That we know of. Anyway, um, so when detectives asked Chris about his own surveillance system, he said that he had a surveillance system, but the recorder was missing.
1: That is so convenient.
0: So convenient. So also, While they were going through Chris's computer, there was a file on his computer where Chris wrote that November 5th, 2008, was the day that Tara changed his life. And about nine days after this date... Tara's the side chick. Yes.
1: November 5th.
0: November 5th. Nine days after this date, the threatening email started coming. And when they dug deeper into his work computer, they were able to find that every single one of those emails was written on Chris's computer.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: So, two weeks after the murder, Chris was arrested, taken into custody. But even with all this information, Chris's parents, the pastors, they still believe, to this day, still believe in his innocence. They disregard everything with Tara, believing Chris when he says it was never that serious, And what really disgusted me was when Chris's dad, Ron, said during an interview after all of this, he said, quote, she told Chris all the time that he was moody and he wasn't affectionate enough and she never did compliment him. That's why he was so attracted to this Tara. And then, quote, Sherry was just not taking care of him at the time. Every man has his desires and every man has to be respected. If your wife doesn't respect you, then you're going to find respect someplace else. And he even dared to say that during that brief time when they were having issues, Sherry had stepped back from her sorry, Sherry had stepped back from doing her job as a wife.
1: Oh, he's like backing his son, like yes, making and... an
0: excuse for him.
1: That was my computer.
0: <laughs> Whoops. But anyway, I just, I was so disgusted by that. After she has been murdered, you're still going to dog her as a wife and practically excuse your son for having an affair. There is no, like, just get a divorce. Just get a divorce. Mm. But apparently, the issue with getting a divorce was that. It could threaten his job with Joyce Myers ministries because they. It wasn't so much that they didn't believe in divorce; it was that they didn't believe in adultery. So, if you know Joyce Joyce Myers ultimately testified to all of this, saying that maybe his motive for killing his wife and kids was because he didn't want to get a divorce and lose his job because he was making really good money, he had a lot of debt, so he just he didn't want to um, lose that. Mm-hmm. But Joyce Myers did say, you know, it's not that he would have lost his job just for getting a divorce, but if it would have been, like, his fault, if there would have been uh, adultery, adultery, yeah, then yeah, it would be an issue. And Sherry knew about the affair because she showed her friends on her computer. She said to one of her friends, do you want to see the woman that my husband's having an affair with? And so she was very aware of what was going on. So yeah, if they would have gotten a divorce and she would have told you know, what really happened, it would threaten his career. So that could be a motive for why he would kill his wife. I don't know if the kids were just, um, you know, I don't know the you word. You can't
1: ever get inside the mind of these I freaking can't. killers.
0: No, I can't. I, whether I'm,
1: it was because, I mean, it's not okay no matter what, but whether it was because he had some form of guilt about the kids growing up without their mother or whether it was he didn't want the hassle of kids or whether it was... To make the whole thing look more legitimate in his head. I mean, Mm -hmm. he had to have some stupid motive.
0: Yeah. And even when he was being interviewed by detectives, they asked, you know, about their relationship issues and if divorce was ever a question. And he came out and said um, that he didn't believe in divorce because he has seen what it has done to kids. And I'm just thinking, you freaking killed your kids, though, dude. Like.
1: Couldn't have done anything worse than that. Yes,
0: exactly. So anyway, during the trial, the prosecuting attorneys brought in a famous medical examiner, Dr. Michael Bodden, and he declared that Sherry Garrett and Gavin were likely killed closer to 3 a.m. rather than 5 a.m., which would mean that Chris would be the killer. That was probably their biggest piece of physical evidence, but even still, after the trial, the jury had a hard time reconciling if they thought Chris was guilty or not guilty. At first, they voted five to seven in favor of not guilty. All this stuff, and you don't think it? Yeah, that is until one juror. You, when they, when you, when you're coming up with a verdict, you all have to unanim, unanimously agree. I think there are some states where it has to be like a ten to two odds or something, where it just has to be like more significantly Definitely. weighted one way. But anyway, they had to come to an agreement. So one juror came upon a picture of Chris and Tara and noticed that the date it was taken was in October of 2008. And they remembered Chris told the jury that their relationship had began in November. So they figured that if he could lie about that, he'd lie about anything. And that's when they all agreed he was guilty. So <laughs> just real Such quick. A random
1: thing to make it kick off to be.
0: Yes, like that's what that's what convinced you seriously. In my opinion, I'm actually very confused as to how they could change their verdict based on that simple lie. When he was proven to cheat on his wife, lie to his wife for 6 months, lie about being the author of those emails, lie about the scratches on his arms, but whatever they found him guilty, that's all that matters. Yeah. I just don't get jurors sometimes. My, one of my dreams, maybe it's like a bucket list item, is to be on a jury. I think it would be so interesting. Man,
1: you're so weird. <laughs> you're so freaking weird. I'd like to be in a jury for a massive for murder sure. case. And I'd like to dig in and find all the facts. And I don't want to hear about it at all. I would of. be
0: the foreman of the jury, for sure. The foreman is like the, the, the manager of the, all the jurors. <laughs> He's looking at me like I have foreheads. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. Okay. Anyway, one of my um,
1: bucket list items is to be on the jury. Maybe jury, it's one a, of my bucket list. Listen to what you just said. One of my bucket list items is jury duty.
0: All right. Well, whatever. Most people hate
1: jury duty. Oh,
0: well, I wouldn't. I want it. I wouldn't. I'm like Stanley from The Office. Like I get meals, air conditioning, time off work. I get to judge people. Yeah, I want to be a juror. You're crazy. <laughs> anyway, he Opposites was. Attract. Yes, for sure. That's why we're so in love. So anyway, he was sentenced to three life sentences and has since tried appealing his case to no avail. He has requested a new trial based on evidence being left out and ineffectiveness of counsel. He claims that there were unknown fingerprints, unknown DNA, and unknown footprints left in the house. But that has not been corroborated by anybody. That has actually been disputed by detectives. So I have no idea what he's talking about. Maybe I just didn't come upon it in my research. Um, Doesn't matter. He did it. Doesn't matter. He freaking did it. It's obvious.
1: So I hate to ask this because I don't really want to know, but I do want to know because the story, how did he kill them?
0: Oh, uh, they were strangled in their sleep, but Sherry put up a really big fight and ended up with two black eyes. So she really fought, which is probably how he got those scratches. But he killed his boys in their sleep. And then there was even spray paint on the walls of one of the boys. And then, like, the sheet that was covering him had spray paint on it. And it actually got on him, too. So
1: he probably strangled them and sprayed spray paint on them.
0: Yes. And then I even heard, which they ended up finding the can of spray paint in the garage. Which they their, their defense was that, oh, whoever came in and did it probably just found it in the garage and used it. But So
1: freaking sad. God. Yeah.
0: Um. So when he was interviewed in prison about his late family, he still maintained his innocence, of course, but he talks about the whole ordeal so flippantly. And I'm going to play this recording. Um, let me just give me a second to get it set up real quick. So if he
1: didn't murder his family, who did? I have absolutely no clue. Believe me, I've wrecked my brain for... For two and a half years trying to figure that part out, <laughs> I just had to stop and give it to God, and just release that, and do my best to forgive that, forgive that person and move on. Way too casual.
0: I mean, he literally laughs about it. He's like, for two and a half years.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: what? Two and, and a half years? That's not even a long time. That's weird. And you just don't care? You're just like, eh, I'm just giving it to God. He'll figure it out. Like, What? If my family was killed, I would be searching to the ends of the earth to figure out who did it so I could get my hands on them myself. And then he has the audacity to be like, I'm just trying to move on as if he's talking move about like on. someone who keyed his car or move something. Move on.
1: What are you going to move on to? Just the cell?
0: Yeah. The, cell the other door. side you of got your three cell? three lifetimes
1: to serve. Yeah. What are you moving on to?
0: Who freaking knows? But um, I have cited all of my resources in the document that I add to our Patreon account. So if you want to research this case more, there are. I try to condense these episodes to around 30 minutes. We're already at 36, so I'm going to cut it off here. But if you want to research more, the links are there. You can even Google it. This case is just crazy. I gave you the bones. You can you know, investigate more yourself if you'd like. I want to know your thoughts though. So come comment on our mama mystery page, mama.mystery on Instagram. Uh, let me know what you think. Mama. And don't forget, don't forget Friday Patreons only. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you will not see us on Friday.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Mama mystery. Out.
0: Bye.